You may turn in your bulletin to page 5, and please stand for the reading of God's Word. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're in a new sermon series, a sermon series about, um, really, it's something Howard and I have been talking about a while, uh, about the vision of Christ Central. So many of you, you may not know this, are new uh, to us and are... uh, uh, haven't, you know, been part of some of these kind of early church meetings where we really talked about the vision of Christ Central, what we want to be about. So we're going to do a sermon series on the vision of Christ Central. But before we, uh, do all that and before we, um, uh, before you just, we just sit up here and talk about all the things that we want to be, uh, and we figured that would be really lame and boring, uh, and, and didn't center on Jesus in the way we talked about it, we, we just, we decided to do it, uh, in a way that was a series of questions. So the next uh, few weeks until uh, December and the uh, Advent, we're going to do a series of questions, and then we're going to take a break and uh, do Advent, uh, uh, four weeks of Advent, four weeks of Christmas, and then we're going to come back and do a few more until February, the first week in February. The first week in February is actually our uh, anniversary, so it'll be our second year. So we're going to do vision, break, vision, uh, until our second anniversary. Um, so many people have explanations. What are we going to be about? What is? It? Are you going to be in the? Are we going to be here uh, forever? Is this no, na- neighborhood theater? Is this it? This is what we're doing. Uh, what, what about uh, uh, all the things? We, uh, are you going to have a building? Are you going to ever have a uh, this program or that program? People ask those questions all the time. They're legitimate questions, and that's one of the reasons why we want to do this vision statement. So we're going to do it in a series of questions. And the first question is why Jesus? So we'll have questions like why community? Why diversity? Why church? Why worship? Why all the things that uh, we want to be about and how for some of those as well? And so the first question is why Jesus? And I, I mean, I just feel a little bit silly because it seems so simple to some in some ways, but the simplest things are often the most profound. Christ Central has an interesting history of its name. Um, Christ Central existed in Pastor Howard's mind and in my mind and heart long before Christ Central ever was on paper or was ever... Um, uh, uh, we ever even got together about it. And so we had different names. I think I had Antioch Church at some point. It's real theological and yeah, it was really going to be a lame name. But so, uh, Antioch Church, Pastor Howard had, oh, I don't remember some of them, but they were Redemption Fellowship. We had a bunch of these different names. We had, um, uh, somebody had thrown by Sanctuary. Someone had thrown all these kind of names. Why are we named Christ Central? Well, 
one reason is because we're in Central Charlotte and we knew we'd be Central Charlotte. And we probably thought we'd be somewhere near Central Avenue, which we are. Um, but as we got to thinking it more and more, thinking about it more and more, Jesus was going to be have to be the center of everything we did. You can build a church being the good children's ministry church. And you can be a children's ministry central church. You can build a church by being a racial reconciliation church. And you can be the diverse church, black, white, Hispanic, whatever it is, and you'll be that church. And we wanted to, or you can do it on mercy or evangelism or worship or whatever it is. And we want all those things to be good. There's nothing wrong with children's ministry. There's nothing wrong with diversity. There's nothing wrong with all the things that, uh, that are so important. Worship to worship, uh, 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 like worship and stuff to a church. There's, all those things are important, but they're not the center of things. And so the first question we have for us is why Jesus? Why Christ central? There are a lot of really good folk out there. There's a lot of good teachers. Confucius was a fine teacher. Buddha was as well. Moral people. And what about modern, modern people, more more modern people? Muhammad or Baha'u'llah, who is the Baha'i uh, faith starter, if you will. What about uh, other leaders like Marx or Joseph Smith or the Caesars or uh, other amazingly effective leaders like that? Why are we about Jesus what about L. Ron Hubbard or Louis Farrakhan or the Dalai Lama or Deepak Chopra or Jerry Falwell or Pope John Paul II or whatever? Why Jesus? Why do we follow this guy centrally, this guy from 2,000 years ago? I know we're a church. I know we're supposed to. But why? Let me give it a one-liner answer and then we'll develop the answer before. If you go on our website and you hit you know, who we are and all that stuff, and you hit values, it says this, the very first value. We value Jesus Christ as the only hope for our broken lives. We value Jesus Christ as the only hope for our broken lives. That's what Christ Central, Christ Central is about. That's what we want to be about. And there are reasons for that. In our passage today, you'll see uh, this incredible landscape of, of, of theology that's set out for us. This incredible image of who Jesus is. And, and, and it's clear from the passage uh, why he's the only hope for our broken lives and, and why uh, Jesus is first. And it's because he made us. And because uh, he's in charge of us. And because he rescues us. He made us. He's in charge of us. And he rescues us. Let me start with he made us. Look at uh, verse 16, if you will. I think it's a couple verses in. For by him, Jesus at this point, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things created by him and for him. He is before all things. And that before means he is in time and in time and in space before all things. He created all things. And uh, and if he's created all things, he acquaints himself with that which he created. This may sound simple, but Jesus made everything. In conjunction with the father and the spirit hovering over the, the chaotic waters. He made everything, which means he made our context. Things in heaven and on earth, verse 16 says, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers of authorities. Everywhere that you have been, Jesus created. Everyone that you have met, Jesus created. Everything that not is not sin is his. 
we had two community groups that went to um, the uh, mountains or somewhere, some retreat uh, this weekend. And uh, and if you don't know, you may smell them. There, there's one looks like a full row of them over there. You, you know, they they have they've been out. They've come early in the morning to uh, come come early straight from it. But they've been out there. And if they were paying attention, and I'm sure that they were, they saw the beauty and wonder of God's creation not just dew-drenched plants but the extraordinary palette of the leaves changing this time of year not just a brown bear but brown dirt and the brown recluse and the brown what did y'all y'all laughing did you see brown bear uh, just making sure okay good <laughs> uh, uh, a brown beetle one song we sing here is for the beauty of the earth it's a creation song it's worshiping god for his creation we don't do that much or enough Let me read it to you. For the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love which from our birth over and around us lies, for the beauty of each hour of the day and of the night, hill and vale and tree and flower, sun and moon and stars of light. Why Jesus? Why Christ central? Because he made us. Woodpeckers and jellyfish and fireflies and plate tectonics and the Amazon rainforest and the depths of the abyss, all the Himalayas, all creation is God's. Chemistry is Jesus's. Biology is Jesus's. Sociology is Jesus's. Your hand is Jesus's. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare His glory. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. Their voice goes into all the earth, to the end of the earth. Why, Jesus? Because He made everything. And if He made everything, it's worth centering on Him. Now, let me just tell you, I don't know how He did it. I don't know how to explain. The scripture doesn't explain explicitly what's his first cause and what's secondary causes, what processes he put into place and what he did immediately. It doesn't go into great detail about those things. But it does say this for him, by him, for by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, authority, authorities, all things were created by him. Everything being created by Him is great. You being created by Him is wonderful. The rest of For the Beauty of the Earth goes like this. For the joy of human love, brother, sister, parent, child, friends on earth and friends above, for all gentle thoughts and mild. It's great that God created plate tectonics. It's awesome that He created you. For by Him all things were created means... You were created. And that means every hair on your head, whether it's kinky or flat or frizzy, whether permed straight or permed curly, every hair on your head and even the ones you've lost are counted and accounted for. Every family member in every house, in every zip code, in every county, in every country, in every continent is accounted for. Jesus birthed humanity and therefore birthed you. You have been woven together with such intricacy and excellence and care. That means This means you have dignity because you're a product of the Creator's hand. Every square inch of you has been molded by the fingerprints of God Himself. 
Jesus knows the way your brain works or doesn't work, the way your emotions work or don't work, or liver or knuckles work or don't work. This means in a world of confusion about identity and self, we can know that we are marked by beauty and dignity because of who he is and that he has created us. I really do want you to look at your hand for a second. Look at your hand and how it bends and how it, uh, the way it can hold things and the way it can strike things or soothe, the way it can carry or caress. Every wrinkle. But I don't want you to just look at a hand. I want you to look at your hand. The Lord created your hand with every hue of color, whether it's golden brown or wheat colored, rich mocha, whether it's large or small or dainty or tough, your hand and therefore your heart have been created by a master artist. MTV has that show Made. Y'all watch Made ever? Where you like, like teach you how to be whatever you're going to be for a week or two. Um, the byline in MTV's Made is this. On every, new mep- uh, on every new episode of Made, one willing candidate embarks on a mission to transform his or her life. Whether it's to become a varsity football player, a BMX rider, a surfer, each teenager has a dream to break out of their shell and find out who they really are. MTV knows that being made means being known. If you are made, you are known. And you'll know something about yourself. Knowing that you've been created with intimacy and care has an incredible application of your life. Think of the intimacy the potter has with her clay. Think of the painter's uh, relationship to his canvas. Think of the mother's relationship to the suckling child. Any creator has this incredible relationship with its creation. Okay, what's that mean? It means you can face the world without shame. You can face the world with dignity. Whether you're overweight or underweight or plagued by audacity or plagued by insecurity, if you have trouble accepting yourself and your story, please know that God created it. Black folk trying to get light skin, white folk trying to get tanned and dark skin. We live in a world that doesn't know itself or is afraid to be itself. We live in a world that's always changing. This is why plastic surgery is so popular. It always wants to be something other than it is. And then one day, the waif look will be gone and everybody try to fatten up. It was true in the 20s. And we know in different cultures, too skinny is an option. It doesn't seem like in kind of modern Hollywood culture, but too skinny really is an option, especially in the history of things. It's a changes. We're so fickle. We don't know... uh, 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 who made us, and therefore we don't know, have a strong enough identity in the way we are. You only make sense because Jesus made you. You only, you only can make sense of your life if you understand that you are a mighty creation of the incredible Creator's hand. That's how we can treat ourselves. But what about others? That's tougher. Now, if I could, you could look at your neighbor's hand and think all the same things. <laughs> All the same things are true. The dignity with which we're to uh, treat others, the dignity with which we're to, um, to to see in the beauty of the creation that they have. I am not saying that we have not sullied the creative masterpiece of God. If you know anything about who we are, you'll understand that we'll get to that. But we've been created with beauty and dignity. 
C.S. Lewis has this awesome quote. You may or may not have heard it before. If you know who C.S. Lewis is, he's an Anglican or uh, uh, from, uh, let's say, he died in the 1960s or something. He's a great writer and thinker. And he says this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, I want to put like hairstyles and uh, other things like that, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortals or everlasting splendors. And our charity must be real and a costly love with a deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinners. No mere tolerance or indulgence. Your neighbor, he says, besides the Lord's Supper, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. What would it be? Our vision at Christ Central is that we would treat ourselves with that kind of dignity, but that we would treat others with whom we disagree. Everybody who is not why, who, who I answered to or talked about in terms of, uh, uh, of the other great thinkers of our time, uh, the great leaders of our time, even people who, uh, who hate that, uh, that we're answering why Jesus uh, and putting him center in our world. Even those people to be treated with dignity. That's what we're about. If you go along into our website and you see, uh, after you click um, our values, you'll see things like this. And let me just tell you, these are not things we only actually value. It's also things we hope to value that would be more and more embodied in us because it's a pretty audacious list. We value those who disagree with us. This is from the Christ Central website. We value honest questions. We value integrity, authenticity, and accountability. We value clarity and transparency about beliefs. We value our neighbors, our city, and our world. We value family and deep friendships. We value gender differences. We value open admission of our failures and weaknesses. We value human dignity and equality. We value ethnic and cultural diversity. We value sharing, understanding, and celebrating our God-given differences. We value a holistic approach into restoring human dignity. We value the just use of resources. We value God's work in history and the history of the church. We value excellence. We value creativity and artistic expression. We value an enjoyment, appreciation, and protection of God's creation. The children's catechism, which is often on the back of our book table, starts like this. Has two questions. The first two questions that you'd ask a child to create his framework for, a whole, uh, for his entire theological framework, his entire identity framework. And if you ask Harrison Brown, and probably, I don't know if Clark's doing it right now, but if you ask uh, Carver Hyde as well, we're uh, using it as a tool to help our kids learn about the Lord. Uh, if you ask them the first two questions of the catechism, you ask, what's the first question of the catechism? They'll probably say, if they're not, you know, being kids, but uh, they'll probably say, you say, who made you? And they say, God. What else did God make? God made all things. With that in mind, we can face the world with the renewed dignity that comes from Christ. With that in mind, we can embody all these values that we have. Very simple. Not even elementary. Preschool. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. He made us, and that's good. But there are other great thinkers besides Jesus who uh, 
or uh, and other great Christian theologians who believed that we were made. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin both believed that we were made, uh, believed we were made, and really didn't have much anything to do with Jesus other than that, other than him being a great moral teacher. Jesus didn't actually made us. There are people, they're called deists, who believe that uh, that we were made uh, uh, like a cuckoo clock. And you wind up the cuckoo clock, you put it on the wall, and then you let it go. And God did all this great creation, and then he took hands off uh, and said, I'll let it be as it is. That's what you call a deist. And um, that is not what we hold to here. That is not uh, uh, something that we, we, we see in this passage today. Because uh, Jesus doesn't just make us. He keeps us. He attends to his creation. He looks after it. Uh, and the way you see it in this passage is, is really through a really bad word in our day and age. And that is through his authority. See, Jesus, isn't just, he just didn't just make us. He's in charge. And <laughs> nobody likes to hear that. No one has a problem with authority. People have a problem with authority over me. I'm fine with authority. I'll dispense it nicely, thank you. But if I have to submit, if I have to yield, if I am the governed and not the governor, that's the problem. In fact, if you'll notice when you go through this, this passage, if you're writing outlines, if you do that kind of stuff, I'm saying Jesus creates us, or Jesus made us, Jesus um, uh, is in charge of us, and my last one is Jesus rescues us. There is not a verb for in charge of that's nice. There's, I went through the thesaurus, I went on online thesaurus, I went on the, the, the little thesaurus that's in Microsoft Word. Nothing works. You can't, we don't even have a category for good rule. We don't have a word for it. I, the best one I could get to was direct, because you can kind of do the, you know, uh, the kind of th- the theatrical version. Overseas, oh, that sounds bad. Regulates, reigns, rules, governs, manages. See? None of them feel good. We don't even have a word. We don't even like vocabulary around being ruled in any way. So we're going to have to create something. And I'm not going to create a word for you. I'm just going to try to create a feeling for you, an experience of you, because our words are short. The one I thought of as I was driving here today was maybe conducts. But it's more authoritative than that. He's, I'm sorry. He's actually, he rules more than conducts. You know what I mean? It, no solos out of his reign. You know what I mean? No, you can't just conduct. So I'm trying here, but there really isn't a word for it. So I got two verbs and then he's in charge. So sorry about that. He's in charge. He is before all things and in all things, and in him all things hold together is what verse 17 says. Jesus is in charge and he holds it all down. He has the power to keep the universe aright and afloat, and he does. Think of the moving parts of the universe, the hummingbird's wing and plate tectonics. He keeps them together. The breath that you breathe is from him. Even your ability and strength to rebel against him is given as a strength given to you by him. Whether you give him curses or praises, his tongue, your tongue is his. Whether used to serve uh, others or ourselves, Jesus gives us our talents. He gives us an incredible power. He has the power to give us all those things. Whether we squander or salvage it, Jesus gave us the power of our time. It says, And he is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. When I think of supreme nowadays, I think of 
a cheeseburger or a Taco Bell. Maybe that's me and my issues. But we don't use the word supreme because anything that would be supreme would be bad. But Jesus has all power and authority. All the bad words that we would want to put up there, authority, power, control, rule, reign, those are His. He has that power. He is supreme. He rules the universe and rules it well. But it's not just His power, His supremacy. It's His position as well. Let me read these quirky passages here. He is the firstborn over all creation. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. Now, if you were reading this and just uh, didn't uh, just at one glance, you may think that Jesus was the first one to die or raise and that he was the first thing born ever. The problem with that is that firstborn doesn't actually always mean the firstborn child, like biological child, like my son is my firstborn child. Uh, it also, it's also a statement of position, of place. Uh, in Psalm 89, um, David is says, I will appoint, all, uh, God says about David, I will appoint him, uh, my firstborn. It's a positional thing. It's, you're, you're firstborn. Not everybody who's firstborn is firstborn. Israel is called firstborn. It's not a biological statement. It's a positional statement. And so it's a, it's a statement about his position, his honor, his place, his status, his authority. It's about his, his God's favor on his son. Jesus is in the first position. He is the, he's positionally qualified to deal with all of us. He, he is head of those who are born. He is head of those who arise from the dead, who rise from the dead. But this position, as you read further, is not just a position of power and authority over the earth. It's a position of connection to the earth. That firstborn of creation, that firstborn from the dead, that head of the church, those are all that's all earthly functionality. That's all here in time and space. It's true, he's king and head of all visible and invisible. But these firstborn statements, these positional statements, are statements about how he reigns on earth. He is God of all creation. He is the one who exists before us. He is the one that is before all things. He is the one who is eternally the Son of God. And he's also positionally ours, to, uh, positionally uh, 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 connected to humanity. He is the God-man. Why Jesus? Because he's the God-man who's powerful and positionally connected to both of us, to both heaven and earth. He is the image of the invisible God. If you, why Jesus? Because if you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you're having trouble getting a picture of what God is. Jesus is there to take it, to, to check it out for. Hebrews 3 says, or Hebrews 1 3 says, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. So Jesus is, uh, is, as a person of the Trinity, is the PR person of the Trinity. He's the face of the administration. He's the, uh, um, uh, who's the, in the Oval Office, the person that sits behind and answers all the questions? The press secretary. He's the pest secretary. And if you've watched West Wing, you know CJ's got a good job. That's an important job. He's the press secretary. He's the face of the administration. He's the one that you interact with. If you are curious about what to see and to, to look for, he is the exact representation. He is the image of the invisible God. Why, Jesus? Because he's in charge. He's the God-man. And by him we see what his in-chargeness looks like. I want to take you to a picture of I told you using words like govern and rule and regulate get us off track 
Let me show you how Jesus is powerful and uh, positionally in charge. Powerfully and positionally in charge. You know the story of John 11? I don't know if you know it or not. It's a story of Lazarus, who was the man who had died. And he was friends. He was brother of Martha and Mary. Mary, Mary Magdalene probably. Uh, Mary who, um, who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair and poured the perfume on his feet. Um, Lazarus had died. Before he had died, actually, uh, Martha and Mary came up to him. He was a few days away, a journey away from uh, where Lazarus was. And he comes up to him and he said, uh, uh, Martha and Mary come up to him and say, Hey, look, Lazarus is about to die. Uh, will you come? And he says, Yes. Don't worry, basically. Um, uh, this sickness will not end in death. They fuss a little bit about it and he goes on. But then he waits for two days before he starts heading that way. And he goes back to Judea. And, Judea, and uh, he tells his, uh, his uh, disciples he's going back to Judea. And they go, oh, no, don't go back to Judea. We, we, last time you were there, we almost got stoned. Let's Come on. let's Got any other options? Let's not go back to Judea, which is where Lazarus was from. And, uh, and he, says, he says no. And he talks to them for a little while and assures them, uh, kind of uh, addresses their fears, and then and talks to them for a little while and says, we're going back anyway. In fact, Timothy, I mean, uh, I think it's Thomas at one point goes, well, I guess we'll just go back and die with Lazarus. So, that, you know, they're going back to Judea. We're going back, right? Jesus, but by the time he gets back, it's four days uh, since Lazarus, uh, since they've come, and four days since Lazarus has been dead. Mary won't even come out to see Jesus. Martha does. Martha comes out and says, if you would have been here. If you would have been here, I would have, he wouldn't have died. Jesus says, he will live. And she goes, I know, at the resurrection of the dead, I know. He says, I'm glad that this all happened this way. Because now you will see the resurrection and the life. And that I am the resurrection and the life. But the passage then goes on to say, Jesus was overcome and troubled. And the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then they say, well, he says, take the te- te- uh, uh, uncover the tomb. It's been four days. And they go, no, it's going to stink. Don't do this. Why would you dehumanize this beautiful, th- you know, death is okay. We've got it entombed. Why would you do this? You're going to mess up everything up. And he, and, he, uh, and he says, don't worry, just do it. Trust me on this. And then he says this. This is really interesting. He looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. Oh, by the way, crowds of people have come. You're about a mile and a half from Jerusalem. Crowds of people have started coming around. Uh, so everyone is there. There's a whole bunch of people there. That they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. And then it says this, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisee and told them, the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, which is the, the group you're going to get in trouble with if you do crazy things like that. Uh, uh, and the, that was kind of the religious uh, um, uh, council. Why Jesus? Because Jesus is in charge 
And he's in charge like no other. I want you to think of the way his power and position has worked out there. First of all, he's dealing with the kind of educational, pedagogical issues of his disciples who need to learn faith in him. He's dealing with the real remorse of, uh, of, uh, of, of two of his closest uh, female allies in the kingdom at that point. He's dealing with uh, real grief and has the positional ability because of his incarnation to experience what it means to have real loss. Even then he knows in 30 seconds he's about to rise the guy from the dead. He still fully positionally experiences the grief it is for a, a sister to lose her brother. He knows. I mean, I, I don't know how you experience it that, but he does because he's in charge and he has the beauty of those things. And not just that, he has the power to raise dead cells and bring a man from a tomb. Not just that, he has the power to keep the oppressor's stay, uh, hand stayed um, while he's in Judea for the time uh, and wait for the perfect appointed time and, and tick off the Sanhedrin right at the perfect uh, time so that the resurrection would happen at the right time. And in so doing, makes this display of his power and his position, the fact that he's in charge, that many would come to him. I mean, he's got so many levels of juggling of power. and He's in charge. He's in charge like no way I can say he rules. And, that, and he governs and that you would understand it. He governs graciously. He rules with a mighty grace. He reigns with a strict uh, uh, gavel of love. That's how he reigns. That's how he's in charge. That's the way he's in charge for us. Why Jesus? Because he's in charge. And he's in charge like no other. That there is one more. Why Jesus answer? And that's because he rescues us. If, if there's no other thing I give you today for why Jesus, it's this. Why Jesus? Why is he Christ central? Why is Jesus central to Christ central? That's because he saves us. He rescues us. He redeems us. He restores us. He rescues us. Look at with me in, back in the passages. I, I've actually kind of cheated. I usually go straight through um, Bible, the, the Bible and kind of uh, uh, don't skip any verses. But I have this time. I skipped the first and second verse uh, and because uh, and, I wanted you to see the sandwich of grace that all this is in. Look at the first verse with me. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son who loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then the last uh, two verses... Or last verse, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus rescues us. Let's just go through those passages a little bit. In 13, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You guys, the Bible assumes not only our creative dignity, but the incredible darkness that we experience all the time. The Bible assumes what you and I feel all the time. That there is what it calls a dominion of darkness. And it is external and hard, but it is also internal as well. The dominion of darkness in us as well. Darkness because it's cruel and brutal and hateful and vile regime against the creative intent that, that we have. Dominion because it's oppressive and strong and all the bad words that I couldn't use to describe Jesus before. Oppressive and, uh, and, uh, and domineering and despotic. Binding. Dominion because it owns us. Darkness because it's bad for us. And everyone knows this. Why Jesus? Because we need to be rescued from a dominion of darkness. Guilt and shame gnaw at our souls. I know it does yours because you're human and I'm human and I know it will. 
Whether you use people in self-love or allow people, uh, 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 allow ourselves to be used in order to cover some loneliness that's in us. If you've ever flirted with addiction of liquor or lust or t- um, power or prestige, whatever it be, then you know what the dominion of darkness is. And Jesus has come to rescue us from that dominion of darkness. But not just rescue us from, but rescue us into. Look at the rest of the passage. He rescued us from, uh, us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. With Jesus, the authority structure changes. The dominion is not a dominion of darkness, but an incredible uh, dominion and kingdom of a beloved Son. That There is marked over us a banner in this kingdom, a banner of, of the beloved Son that says that those who come to Him, those who are rescued by Him, those who will give up to Him will be ruled by His wonderful grace. Those of you, God will place a banner of love over you. It's stretched out and covers you. Uh, it covers you because of the Son who is loved. And forgiveness of sin, my goodness, forgiveness of sin, that that would be part of this banner of love? There is nothing you or I need psychologically, physically, whatever, sociologically more than forgiveness of sin. We need to experience not shame, but healing. Not excuses, but owning it and then being covered by it. To be known in our wickedness and then loved, met there. How glorious. I hate it when when the, the trend to kind of keep away from sin. Because of their, not because sin isn't, because I, I mean, part of me loves it, but, but, but to, to not talk about sin. But if we don't talk about sin, we don't actually get forgiven of sin. This beautiful, it's a great joy, it's a great peace that comes when you know that you can stare sin that you really own and stare straight in the eye and really be forgiven from it. Why, Jesus? Because He forgives sin. And we are chock full of sin. Our redemption is the forgiveness of sin. And it's not just that. If you go into the last verse, it's even more. Though that is the beautiful gateway. If there's nothing else, that would be awesome. But it says that he would make peace through his blood shed on the cross. Where? On earth are things in heaven. He will reconcile himself to to himself all things. This means that Jesus' coming is not just for the forgiveness of our sins, but the restoration of all the created relationships that we have marred. That he will return uh, the beautiful artwork into its full place. And that we can have right relationship, not with just him, but with ourselves and our psychology, with our friends and with our lovers and with our, our family members and with anybody who we interact with. We can have right relationship with him. He will make peace with all things. The end of Revelation has this, that he makes, behold, I make all things new. He renews all things. Why, Jesus? Because He rescues us. Why, Jesus? Because He makes all things new. We have to end here. But if you ever see us moving away from the centeredness of Jesus, you have the full right, and if you are a member, the responsibility to come knock on one of our doors and say, y'all, it's about something else. It's about your good works. It's about uh, being trendy or cool. It's about great music. It's about whatever it is. You have the right and responsibility to bring Christ Central back 
to Christ being central at any point. And yet we beg you to come to us. Of course it can be about a zillion things. But we ask you to do that. I'd also ask you, if you're a member of this church, to regularly uh, go to that value statement uh, on the website. Or it's in some of our other materials. And if you're not, and read this and pray this. We value Jesus as the only hope for our broken lives. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for letting this little humble church start. Lord, I pray you'd take us out if we would keep our eyes off you in any way. I pray that you'd end us before we stop being something other than Christ central fully. Lord, and part of being Christ central is coming to you and saying, we know we're not. Forgive us. Forgive us our sin. Restore us. Be in charge of us. And rescue us once again from our idolatry, our wicked ways. Restore us to the beautiful creative intent you have for us. We ask in your name. Amen.